0: The National Museum of African-American History and Culture puts forth an anti-racist display that sounds kind of like white supremacy. Ilhan Omar complains that everyone is a racist and President Trump changes his campaign manager. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. You have a right to privacy. protected at expressvpn.com slash Ben. So, yesterday was just kind of trolling around on Twitter as per our usual arrangement. And I came across this insane display from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And it really does speak to our bizarre cultural moment because the fact is that the new anti-racist movement, the sort of Ibram Kendi, Robin DiAngelo, anti-racism movement that has become so popular on the left that has really overwhelmed the old version of what racism was. Racism used to be defined, as we've been talking about, as you believe in the supremacy or inferiority of a group based on characteristics they cannot control like skin color. This was defined as white supremacy or as racism, depending on who was being the racist and who was being the victim. Well, that has now been changed to the entire system is racist. And if you are complicit in any system that produces inequality, then you are part of the problem and you are a racist. And to be anti-racist, you have to fight the system. Well, this sort of idea has now been promulgated with your taxpayer dollars at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, a project of the Smithsonian Institution. And I wanna go through the display that they put forth because not only is it, hideous and horrifying, it's overtly racist against black Americans. I mean, that, that is what it is. It's incredible. It's incredible. Like, you cannot distinguish the verbiage on this poster from anything David Duke would say. It's, it's impossible to actually tell the difference, because in the end, what it suggests is that all the hallmarks that make a person or culture or civilization successful are white things. Right? David Duke would say this in order to tell white people. The National Museum of African American History and Culture is saying this in order to downgrade the quote unquote standards. Of success, and this has real ramifications because when we look at problems in American society, we look at problems like police brutality, or if we look at problems like income gaps between Black Americans and White Americans, and educational gaps between Black Americans and White Americans, these are specific problems with specific solutions. Right? These are, there are things we can do about some of these things. There are things we can't do about some of these things. But if politics is the solutions business, right? Politics is the place. You're supposed to go to discuss a problem and then come up with an answer. That is the goal of politics, is solution making. But our politics these days has become more about feelings. I've said before on this show, I've talked about this, that when my wife and I first got married, and when when you first get married, there are always some bumps that you have to iron out. Thank God my wife and I have an incredible marriage. we been married 12 years now with three kids. Very happy. But at the very beginning, there is a, a sort of situation that would continually arise. And the situation was my wife would come to me with a problem and I being a doting husband, would say, okay, let's talk about the solution. And she'd get upset because it turns out that what she didn't want was the solution. What she actually wanted was for me to just hear her, hear her feelings, right? She, she wanted me to show that I cared about her experiences. And this made no sense to me because I am a solutions-oriented person. And so I, I literally had to say to her, sweetheart, I need you to tell me upfront in the conversation whether this is a, a conversation where you just want me to show sympathy or is this a, con- I'm, I'm kind of a robot this way, or is this a conversation where you want me to provide A solution. Well, politics is supposed to be all about the latter, right? It's all supposed to be about solutions, but virtually none of politics in modern America is about solutions. And in fact, if you offer solutions to any of these problems, if you suggest that maybe a solution to the income gap is to culturally press forward with the cause of less single motherhood, if you suggest that maybe one of the things we should do is push school vouchers, maybe one of the things we should do is push standards of education inside homes that value education more, if you suggest that maybe one of the things we ought to do is put more police officers in high crime areas so as to crack down on crime and provide a safe haven for businesses and investment that raises the tax base, increases the funding for public schools and provides jobs for more people, then you are part of the problem, you see. Politics is, if if you're Senator Tim Scott and you come forward with a bill that is meant to take the first steps toward curbing police brutality, you are hit with more vitriol by the left than if you had never provided any sort of solution at all because the solution is not the point. The, qu- the complaining is the point. The castigation of the entire system is the point. Shoring up the system is the problem. If you shore up the system, then all you are doing is merely supporting a system of brutality and racism and cruelty. Now, that is not a recipe for a future for the country. There cannot be a future to a country that basically suggests that anytime there is a problem, if you try to solve it, you yourself are part of the problem. That is a a that is a, a movement that is destined to destroy the country. And this is what my new book is about: how to destroy America in three easy steps. Out next Tuesday, you can get it at Amazon, or you can buy a signed copy at DailyWire.com/men. It's all about this. It's all about the quest to destroy America with a vision of America that sees America as pure power politics and the system itself as, as an indicator of hierarchical brutality. This is something that the that the left is pushing these days very hard, and now it is being embedded in cultural institutions. So first of all, I think most Americans should be able to look at this and say this is ridiculous. But most Americans, I think, are not looking at this anti-racist, you know, the new definition of anti-racist, which is to say disestablishmentarianism, get rid of the system. They're not looking at this and saying this is ridiculous. They've been so trained to treat any accusation of racism as gospel that they are willing to even hear the redefinition of racism, even if it means that they are supposed to now silence themselves, silence their common sense, tear down the system that provides them the opportunity for a, a civilized and wonderful life. That's how powerful the charge of racism has become. You can even shift the definition of racism and people will still be so cowed by the very word with a completely different definition that they will go along to get along. So here is the new definition of whiteness and racism. Okay, get, get ready for this because this is amazing. And this is from taxpayer-sponsored National Museum of African-American History and Culture. Aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. This is a full poster. White-dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, we all have internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. So in other words, if you're a black person and you believe in any of the following list that we're gonna to get to in a second, any of the following principles, if you're black and you believe this, it's because on the inside you're white. You've now turned into an Oreo, right? That is the, really, this is what this is saying. It is saying that you, if you have internalized any of the things I'm about to explain to you, then it is because you have now internalized whiteness. You have now suffered from assimilationism, as Ibram Kendi suggests, in how to be an anti-racist. Okay, here are some of the things that are associated with whiteness and white-dominant culture. Okay, these are some of the things. And again, I challenge you to tell me how this is anything different from what David Duke would say, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK. Rugged individualism is about white-dominant culture or whiteness. The individual as the primary unit, self-reliance, independence and autonomy, highly valued and rewarded, Individuals assumed to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. So individualism itself is just a white thing. If you believe that you have agency in your own life, which, by the way, is the precondition to any success in this life or any other. If you believe that you have the the power to shape your own future, that is your whiteness talking. That is your internalized whiteness, because only white people have historically had such power, except for the fact that now everybody has that power in the United States and legally has had that power since the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Okay, other things that are aspects of whiteness in the United States. Family structure, that's a white thing. Again, this is according to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. Family structure is a white thing. The nuclear family is a white thing. Wife as homemaker, husband as breadwinner, children as independent, and that they should have their own rooms. Apparently, if your kids have their own rooms, it's because it's a white thing, which is real weird because when I was growing up, I shared a room with all three of my sisters until I was 11 years old. So I guess we weren't white then. So that's kind of strange. Emphasis on scientific method is a white thing. I'm not kidding. It says this, this is a museum. Okay, the museum is saying that if you believe in the scientific method, it's because it's a white thing that you have internalized. Objective, rational, linear thinking is a white thing. Cause and effect relationships are a white thing. Quantitative emphasis is a white thing. Data analysis. Basically, if you think like a rational human being, it's because you've internalized whiteness. Okay, this is the most racist thing in the entire world. This is basically suggesting that if it were not for white people, there would be no rationality. Rationality would not exist. There's not been a single brown person steeped in their own culture in human history who thought in a linear, quantitative, cause-and-effect way, which is bizarre, ahistorical, and insane. Okay, if you you emphasize the scientific method, that's only because you're white. David Duke could have, I'm telling you, David Duke could have written this. Because David Duke's like, you know what's great about white people? Individualism. Their scientific thinking. Their brains. Because right, David Duke's a racist. Okay, this is a racist document, but it's masquerading as an anti-racist document. And I'll explain why in a second. Okay, other things that are white. If you mention Western civilization, that's a white thing. Because Western civilization is not important, apparently, in the broad view of humanity, despite the fact that Western civilized values have now taken over most of humanity and have been responsible for the uplift and freeing of billions of human beings. The heavy focus on the British Empire in history is a white thing, because apparently the British Empire was not important, except for the fact that the sun literally never set on the British Empire. So there, there was that. It was kind of an important part of, of human history. Work ethic. The Protestant work ethic is a white thing. Hard work as the key to success is a white thing. It is, a, it is a, an aspect of white dominant culture. If you believe that you should work hard and you should work before you play. I, I'm serious. These are white things according to this museum. Not kidding. Also, delayed gratification is a white thing. If you're oriented toward the future. Now again, Every aspect here, everything I'm talking about, these are the preconditions for success in any free system. Being a person who focuses on the future, delayed gratification, hard work, rugged individualism, a belief in data and science. Like these are the preconditions to success in a free country. These are being labeled white things. And if you believe in them, you have internalized the white culture. Other things that they say are white are things like Value on ownership of goods, space, and property, which, okay, (laughs) just the the utter insanity of suggesting that only white people have ever valued ownership of goods, space, and property. Really, why are there tribal chiefs in literally every civilization ever known to man and they are the richest, most powerful people? Why? If you follow rigid time schedules, if you view time as, if you are punctual, that is a white thing. Being punctual is a white thing, apparently. If you believe in English common law and protecting private property, if you believe that intent counts injustice, if you believe that there is a difference between manslaughter and first-degree murder. If you believe that people should have to show intent to be blamed fully for a crime, then this is, this is, the, then this is an aspect of whiteness. And finally, decision-making. If you make decisions, if you, solu- if you are, are oriented toward solutions, if you must always do something about situation, that means that you are oriented toward whiteness. And we're gonna get into more of this and what exactly this means and how this destroys the country and how woke white people bowing to this bullcrap how, how these woke white people are destroying the country. It, it really is insane. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably heard me talk about my Helix mattress. Okay, I love my Helix sleep mattress. It is the only thing that allows me to get through the day since my children have decided to wake me up at all hours of the night. Well, good news. Helix has now gone beyond the bedroom. They've started making sofas. They just launched a new company. It's called Allform. They're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. They are just gorgeous. I mean, they, these are beautiful pieces of furniture. What makes an Allform sofa really cool? Well, for starters... It's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You pick your fabric. It is spill stain and scratch resistant. As I said, I have kids. That is vital. The sofa color, the color of the leg, sofa size, shape. You make sure it's perfect for you or your home. They've got armchairs, love seats, all the way up to eight seat sectionals. And there's something for everyone. And you can start small and you can bolt on additional pieces of your sofa. It can always change and grow as your house changes and grow. All form sofas are delivered directly to your home. Fast, free shipping. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, it could take weeks or even months to arrive. Not anymore. Now it takes three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself really easily. We did it ourselves at my house. I have an all-form sofa. I've got the three-seat sofa with chaise in the sand color with espresso legs. It It is a real addition to my home. My kids love it. I love it. If getting a sofa without trying it in store sounds risky, don't worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. More than three months. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free, and they will give you a full refund They've also got a forever warranty, like literally forever for all time. Check them out right now at allform.com slash Ben. And they're offering 20% off all orders. That's a great deal. Allform.com slash Ben. Again, allform.com slash Ben for 20% off. I promise you, you're gonna love it, the sofa. It is just fantastic. Okay, so what the hell is all of this about, right? What in the world are people doing here? The, the, The notion that you're going to castigate as white all of the hallmarks of success, right? Being oriented toward solutions, being oriented toward delayed gratification, Being punctual, focusing in on elements of common law, like protection of private property and intention in criminality. Emphasis on the scientific method. What good, how is that helping the world to label all of that stuff white? What does that mean? Well, to understand this, you really have to read the idiocy of Ibram Kendi, who's been held up as some sort of great thinker and who indeed must have been dropped on his head multiple times as a child, because that is the only way I can really support the notion that this was in any way related to rationality. I have a simple rule online. is called Hanlon's razor attribute to stupidity that which you cannot attribute to malice. OK, well, you know, the, the fact is that. If I, I actually don't think Cameron Kennedy is a dumb guy, so it's hard for me to attribute his perspective to simple being simple stupidity or simple blindness. If I were going to say that it was malicious and that, that it were a plan. Honestly, if I don't like conspiracy theories, and so I'm not going to I'm not going to support one here. If there were to be a conspiracy theory, it would sound something like this, that there are people out there who actively want to make people's lives worse so as to be able to blame the system for people's lives being worse and then tear it down. That would be the simple sort of cloud pivoting conspiracy theory here. I don't think that's what's happening. I think people just have a perverse view of the system, and they will use any brick brick bat in order to hit it. They'll use any crowbar to tear it down. So here is what I mean. Ibram Kendi, in his ridiculous book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which is purely crazy, he argues that racism is not, in fact, a belief in the inherent superiority or inferiority of a particular race. You should know, by the way, Robin DiAngelo, who I've reviewed at length, Robin DiAngelo is just a white knockoff of, of Ibram Kendi. Kendi says that racism is an embedded system that results in racial inequality. In other words, any system that results in racial inequality is a bad system, which is weird because every system in human history results in some level of racial inequality, because literally, if you take two groups and you divide them just with a random line, there'll be inequalities between the two groups statistically. It does not, like, this is a fact of stats. Averages do not actually measure what happens when you draw a line down the middle of a room. If we took all of my employees and we drew a line down the middle of the room, there'd be differences in in sexual orientation, in gender, in race, in income level, in height, right? That's just the way that it works. You couldn't just average them and say, okay, generic blob of humanity. Because of that, there will always be racial inequalities because bottom line is that any group division means there will be differences in group. And by the way, one of the things that I always notice about people who talk about racial inequality in the United States is that they always target the system, the evil, terrible, no good, very bad American system. If you were going to write an equation, here I go with my scientific thinking again, aspects of whiteness and all of this. If you're gonna write an equation about inequality and you are going to have the, the statistical inequality and then the independent variable, meaning the thing that changes, so most thinkers of the left will simply suggest that the independent variable is America. America is, America's policies are responsible, and therefore the only differences in inequality is the American system. But in order to say that that's the independent variable, shouldn't you have some sort of comparative analysis of whether there is racial inequality in other systems? Right, if you're gonna say that America's the problem, really you should look at other systems and determine whether racial inequality persists in other systems. And the answer, of course, is yes. Black Americans are significantly better off on a household income level, for example, than black Canadians or black Britishers or black French. Okay, that, that is a simple statistical analysis to do. Racial inequalities exist in Canada. They are very large. They exist in Britain. They are very large. They exist across Europe. They are very large. There are, there are inequalities across Africa, right? This is just an, a common aspect of humanity is racial inequality. So blaming it on America, you're gonna to need to do a little bit better than just the simple assumption that all systems that produce inequality are evil Americanism. But this is Ibram Kendi's suggestion, which is completely afactual. Now, the good news is he's also labeled science racist. So that means that if you question him with science, then that means that you are just exhibiting your white supremacy or something. It's completely unfalsifiable, right? You make, a pro- you make a propositional statement about the world. And if I say the science doesn't back that, you say, well, science is a white people thing. That's what Imran Kennedy's doing here. Okay, we'll get to more of this in just one second. I'll explain what exactly is going on and how all of these woke white people in an attempt to buy their way out of racist jail, right, faux racist jail, they're willing to do any sort of virtue signaling they can, at least some pretty bizarre results. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, hiring can be difficult, but if you are currently hiring, you face new difficulties these days. Housing Wire could relate. They needed to hire a reporter to cover news stories on the U.S. housing market, so they turned to ZipRecruiter. And that is how Housing Wire found Alexandra Roja. Alexandra never imagined she could get a reporter job during COVID 19. She created a profile on ZipRecruiter, and sure enough, she ended up working over at Housing Wire. ZipRecruiter is a great way for employers to find employees. That is why we use ZipRecruiter ourselves. Also, it makes a great way for me to be able to threaten my employees if they don't do their jobs. They know they could be next on the ZipRecruiter ad. They know that their job could be filled like this. Boom, you could fill that job. In fact, go check out ZipRecruiter right now if you're an employee looking for a great employer or if you're a great employer looking for an employee. ZipRecruiter is the place to go. See how ZipRecruiter can help you hire. Try it now for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Ben. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ben. And go check them out right this very moment. And I I promise you, you will be happy that you did. You'll be upgrading your employment situation immeasurably by checking out ZipRecruiter right now. ZipRecruiter.com. Slash Ben. Okay, so back to Ibram Kendi. So Ibram Kendi says that any system that results in racial inequality is a racist system. Any complicity in that system is racist also because silence is violence, right? So anti-racism means opposition to such systems. Here's what Kendi says in his, in his dumb book, quote, to be anti-racist is to reject cultural standards and level cultural differences. Okay, now this is a pretty radical statement. And so I've said before, and if you're going to look at inequality, you do have to look at factors in personal choice and you have to look at differences in culture. right? If you have one culture that values education, this is not a racial statement, there are values in white America. That there are certain cultures in white America that do not value education. J.D. Vance talks about them eloquently in Hillbilly Elegy. If you have a culture that doesn't value education the same way as another culture that values education, that is going to have some pretty significant ramifications for how your children are educated, for example. And if you have a culture that presses forward with single motherhood, as opposed to pressing for the nuclear family, that's going to have ramifications for the next generation. Ibram Kendi says, if you say that there are differences between cultures, not there are differences between races, differences between races on the pure basis of race, that's racism. Differences between culture on the basis that cultures are different, which is perfectly obvious to everyone, right? Right. Di- even even the diversity crowd acknowledges their differences in culture. They just say that any system that does not end with an equal result despite the cultures is a racist system. So Kendi literally writes, to be anti-racist is a direct quote, is to reject cultural standards and level cultural differences. Segregationists say racial groups cannot reach their superior cultural standard. Assimilationists say racial groups can, with effort and intention, reach their superior cultural standards. In fact, says Kendi, civilization is often a polite euphemism for cultural racism. Now, cultural racism is a conflict in terms. It's a conflict in terms. Racism is about race. Culture is about culture. So by conflating culture with race, what he is essentially saying is, no matter what decisions you make in life, no matter what things you value, we should end up in the same place if the system were fair, which is totally insipid. It's utterly crazy. So Kendi is indicting systems that produce progress and wealth and happiness, but that, like all free systems, also result in inequality. So what this means is that any system that results in inequality... We don't, we don't have to look at your personal action. We don't have to look at what you did. We don't have to look at your personal choice. In fact, if we do, that is just our whiteness talking. This is how you end up with the bizarre proclamation that individualism and individual choice is a white person thing. Which, again, is something David Duke likes. Okay, something David Duke agrees with. But this is now being promulgated at the highest levels by our nation's newspapers, by our colleges, by our museums. Okay, th- this ends in utter unsuccess. It's not just stupid, by the way. It's incredibly dangerous because what you're saying to people is all the things that you can do to succeed in life are now foreclosed to you. You should not do them. It makes you a sellout. It makes you an assimilationist. Right? The idea is that things like hard work, individualism, family structure, thinking about the future, delayed gratification, those are the systems that have created unprecedented wealth for black Americans. Right? The system that Martin Luther King was fighting for was access to the system for black Americans, not destruction of the system. He was saying we need more access to the system. And he was right is what Booker T. Washington was arguing. It's what Frederick Douglass was arguing. The promises of the declaration must be extended to all of us was the argument. Not the declaration is evil. All of it has to come down. And no matter what choices I make, I should have exactly the same outcome as the guy next door to me. It creates an unfalsifiable standard because no system is going to end with equality when you remove all human choice and all human agency from the equation. That's utterly nuts. So in essence, what this isn't, it's not just rejecting good ideas as, as racist, it is damning black Americans to lack of success by pushing against every possible variable that would militate in favor of success. If you stand for a nuclear family, if you stand for education and hard work and individualism, if you stand for the notion that you should delay gratification, you are being a white person, you're being complicit in the system of racism. How does rejecting family structure make any black life better? How? How? Single motherhood is the single greatest reason for income inequality by studies. How does rejecting hard work pay off for black Americans? The answer is it doesn't. How does trashing the scientific method provide an avenue of success for black Americans? The answer is it doesn't. This is all about trashing the system. It's all about trashing the system. That's all it is. And the sad part is that white people are going along with it simply because they are so afraid that somebody is going to shout at them racist with no basis whatsoever. That's how powerful the charge has become. You can completely shift what racist means, and, and shout the same word. And people will still react by saying, okay, what do I have to do to make you stop calling me that? And that's what we are seeing right now. I'm gonna read you a piece from the Washington Post in just a second that is all about this bizarre, bizarre situation. And it is crazy. It's crazy. we are gonna get to it in just a moment. First, we're home a little bit more than usual these days. It is still hard to keep a close eye on things. I know around my neighborhood, there's been a spate of people robbing mailboxes. Well, one way that this can stop is if you get ring devices, you can tell what's happening outside your home. Ring is on a mission to make neighborhoods safer. Their home security products are designed to give you peace of mind around the clock. From video doorbells and security cameras to smart security lighting and alarm systems, Ring has everything you need to make sure your family and belongings are safe and secure anytime, anywhere. With the all-new Ring Video Doorbell 3, you can keep an even closer eye on things than ever before. Ring will give you protection at every corner. Video doorbells that let you answer the door and check in on your home anytime. You can keep an eye on your doorstep or speak to delivery people when you can't come to the door. With outdoor security cameras, you can check in on every part of your house and never miss a moment. Smart lighting will brighten up blind spots, make sure you always come home to that brightly lit house. I rely on Ring systems to keep my family safe, and you know if I do, you should too, because I'm deeply concerned with my own family safety. We've had threats before, and Ring helps us out with all that sort of stuff. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com ben. That welcome kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell 3 and the Chime Pro. It's what you need to start building custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com ben again. That is ring.com ben. Underlying all of this, by the way, underlying all the faux sympathy from the white woke liberals on this sort of stuff is a really racist perception of black Americans, that black Americans cannot succeed, right? Ibram Kenzie in, in, his, in his book, when he, when he talks about this sort of stuff, Ibram Kenzie makes the distinction between what he calls the segregationists and the assimilationists. Assimilationists are people who say, if you work hard within the system, you will succeed, which is true. And the segregationists are the people who say, no matter how hard you work within the system, you cannot succeed. The only thing that separates the segregationist from Ibram Kendi is he wants to destroy the system. Well, there are a lot of white woke liberals who actually have this bizarre vision of black Americans that they cannot succeed within the system. For some reason, they think that all black Americans are living in abject poverty in the United States when they are not. The typical black family in the United States is not living in abject poverty. The median household income for black Americans is nearly $60,000 a year. That is not the poverty line. The the vast majority of black Americans are middle class or above. And they are not living in abject poverty. But again, this image has been promulgated by the media. It's been promulgated by the left that everybody who is black in America is living in squalor. And it's just not true. Okay, but what this generates, the the charge of racism is so powerful in American life because of course there were a lot of racists in American history. And because America did have an embedded racist system of segregation and Jim Crow. Because of all of that, the, the charge holds power even if you are now lying about the charge. And so this has driven white people to new depths of insanity. There's a piece over at the Washington Post today That is just crazy. It's called Stumbling Toward Wokeness. After George Floyd's death, she wanted to be anti-racist. But what would that mean exactly? It's the profile of a woman named Christine Tell by Robert Samuels. And it's all about about this white woke lady in Tulsa trying to figure out her own whiteness. The text messages were flying into Christine Tell's cell phone. They were coming from a group of friends who taught with her at a preschool inside the Methodist Chapel near the green fields of the University of Tulsa. A woman on our Facebook post is claiming we are a whites-only school, one woman wrote about the interaction on Facebook. Someone tell me what I'm missing. When Tell looked at the post, she knew exactly what was missing. Photos of black and brown students. All of the smiling children featured on the school's post were white, which the teachers insisted was a coincidence. So far from the truth, one responded, noting some of the children in the post were Hispanic. This pisses me off, said another. Dumb, said a third. Tell tried to figure out the right way to contribute to the conversation. Ever since she watched a video of a police officer digging his knee into the neck of George Floyd, she had pledged to become a better white person. By the way, one of the, the actual reason why this particular school had pictures of, of white kids is because they were able to reach the parents to ask for permission. It seriously says this right in the article. Hey, the craziest part of this article, and it really is indicative of what the anti-racist movement wants from white woke liberals, is shut up and repeat what we tell you. Don't think for yourself. Don't really try to figure out what you can do. Pay Robin DiAngelo $10,000 to come to your business and yell at you. Listen to what Ibram Kendi tells you are the systems of oppression and then dismantle those systems of oppression by shutting the hell up, right? That's what the goal is here to confuse people so much about what is racist and what is not racist that you can do nothing. They, there are no solutions. The purpose that the feature is not a bug. The feature of this system is there are no solutions. It's a bug if you provide a solution, because once you've provided a solution, you're shoring up the system. The feature is making you feel bad about yourself because any solution you provide is going to be in, in, insanely and incessantly racist. So here's the best part of the article. So Christine Tell and a woman named Cody, who's an administrator at the preschool, got together to discuss diversity. They were joined at their preschool by another good friend and teacher named Katie Columban. The three women felt that the pictures didn't actually show how diverse the school was. Of the 45 students enrolled in the school this year, at least nine had won parents of color, according to their tally. Cody had chosen the pictures because they were children of parents who worked at the school. It was easier to get permission for them. She then posted new photos of children with darker skin, but she knew those changes were insufficient. How did she know this? She knew this because everything is insufficient. She then posted new photos of children with darker skin. She knew those changes were insufficient. Only three of the school students were African-American. How many black baby dolls do we have, she asked. We need to get some black baby dolls. Oh, I didn't think about that, said Colin Bin, the other teacher. We have none. But that wasn't intentional. 99% of those toys are donated. Tell suggested the fact that all the toys were the same race by happenstance was an idea worth thinking about. Okay, so we now know this was not a racist thing, right? People just donated their toys. And... Tell was like, well, maybe that's because the system is even more racist. No matter what the justification is, there's always more work to be done, guys. And by work, we mean doing nothing and navel-gazing. I think part of our responsibility as white people is to reflect back on our own experiences and what ways we have unconsciously chosen the white baby doll, said Tell. Okay, so this is all navel-gazing. We are the white saviors. Black people have no agency. We need people like Christine Tell. If you need people like Christine Tell to save racial America... If you're a black person waiting for Christine Tell to save, you're going to be waiting an awful long time. Just, just going to let you know that right now. Okay. Cody told the other teachers the Floyd video moved her to want to do her part to bring unity to this country. Cody said she had spent her adult life trying not to pay attention to skin color because she didn't want anyone to be judged by their race. That would be the reasonable position. Now, she could not stop paying attention to a person's skin color and the injustice it might bring. So now, she didn't think about race before. Now, all she does is think about race. Is the country better for this? Is the country strong? Like whose problems have been solved by this? The answer is nobody's. When I'm driving down the street and there's a black man walking down the street, bam, I look and I go, oh, wow, Cody said. I say, okay, he might be next. Okay, why are you what? I thought that that was an aspect of racism, right? That if you walk down the street, you see a black person, you immediately make a judgment about their situation on the basis of their race alone. That's kind of racist, is it not? But no, she wanted to do more than get get more diverse baby dolls. I seriously thought about going to North Tulsa, she said, and knocking on doors and saying, hey, I'd really love for your child to come to preschool here and we'll give you a full scholarship for it, she said. But is that offensive, asked Columbine, a 37-year-old mother of four, because you're only reaching to the other side and the only reason you're offering a scholarship is skin color. Is that offensive? I don't know, Cody said. Now's not the time, Tel said. <laughs> so now they're talking about overtly doing something good for people who are minority. And they're like, now's not the time, guys. I mean, is that racist for us to do that? Is it not racist? I don't know. I don't know what the hell's going on, but I'm so scared. I'm so scared of being called racist for doing stuff that's not remotely racist. Columbin, the other teacher, was nervous about coming up with ideas to help the black community that came from a group of white women who had few black friends in their lives and who didn't actively think about race until the summer. You could lose your job, Columbin said. You don't want to be viewed that way when you're trying to help. Columbin agreed. She needed to teach her children to be kind and stand up when people seem cruel to others, especially minorities. But now... It seemed that friends like Tell were asking her to do uncomfortable things, things that might be taken the wrong way. They were using these terms that seemed to have just been popularized. White privilege, implicit bias, structural racism. Growing up, racism was never explained to us this way, Coleman said. It was never the system. It was more of a prejudice. She paused. That is probably also why it's hard as a white person to know how to help or speak up or be an advocate for the black community. But it's our job to speak out, Tell said. It's our job to hear what is being said to us and take the time to read a book or watch a movie that's recommended and try to put our experience aside and really try to understand. I've done that, Columban said. I watched Just Mercy. I watched the movie about Harriet Tubman. I watched it with my kids. How does that make life better for anyone in the black community? How does my not watching a movie keep them down? Tell had not fully worked out the answer to this question. (laughs) She hoped conversations with white people would help change votes and change minds, but sometimes she asked herself, how could she be sure? She couldn't be certain because she wasn't certain of anything. In a month, she had realized pervasive racism in the school system and in the prison system, in her family and her friends, in herself. The tectonics of what made it great to be an American seemed to be shifting, and she had no idea what it meant for the future. And that is in the end the point. The end point for all of this is you are confused about America. You think America is inherently bad. You don't know anything, but you know you suck, and you know America sucks. That's the only point of all of this. It doesn't make anybody's life better. It forecloses paths to success for minority Americans. It even stops white people from trying to help black Americans because any solution is you being paternalistic. So all this is designed to do in the end is shame white people into feeling bad enough to give up any sort of agency to the Ibram Kennedys of the world to give them orders as to how to be an anti-racist. You need a guide. You need a guide through this thicket, this miasmatic nonsense that is created solely for the purpose of tearing down the system. That's dangerous for black people. It's dangerous for white people because guess what? The American system is damned phenomenal. It is a phenomenal system. The American system, replete with the Declaration of Independence values, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, equality before the law, rights that pre-exist government against your fellow citizen, rights that prevent them from in, from infringing upon your rights. Those things are great. They've created prosperity. They've created wealth. They've created long life. Yeah. All of those are products of our Declaration. The, the, the notion that you have to tear down the Declaration in order to achieve something better, and that And then in any system, aspects of success like the scientific method, that is tied to subjugation. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And the white idiots who buy into it are are pusillanimous cowards. Anybody who buys into it is a pusillanimous coward. Okay, it's it's insane. I relegate the the pusillanimous cowardice to the white people because the white people are the ones who are being called racist. That's, That's the way that this works. But if you fall for this trick, if you fall for this garbage, you're not only an idiot and a dupe. You're making the country a worse place. Again, I talk about this at length in my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It's just it's being weaponized so fast and taking over the culture so fast. It's, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. But I guess you can sell any sort of idiocy so long as you threaten somebody with the club of calling them a racist, even if they're not a racist. We'll get to more about this in just one second, because you can see it being internalized and weaponized. You've got Ilhan Omar using exactly this logic to suggest all of her critics are racist. And you got Joe Scarborough writing entire columns about internalizing his own whiteness and such. We'll get to that in just one second. First, if you've got a car that's taking up space sitting in your driveway they don't use that you are paying insurance on, why? You should not. Get rid of it. Donate it to Cars for Kids. You've heard their jingle. You know, one eight seven seven cars for kids K-A-R-S, Cars for Kids. Right now, it's stuck in your head forever. And it will be stuck in your head Forever until you donate your car for the children. Cars for Kids makes the process of donating your car quick and easy. You get a tax deduction and a vacation voucher. It takes just about two minutes. They handle all the details, all the paperwork. All you need to do is schedule a pickup and sign the title. Pickups are contact-free. You just leave your signed title with your keys in the car to avoid all of the unnecessary contact. The Cars for Kids driver conveniently picks up your car while maintaining a safe distance. Your car donation, it's fast, it's free, picked up within 24 hours, often even the same day. And Cars for Kids will take your car even if it is not running. Again, tax deductible. And as a special thank you for donating your car, Cars for Kids will give you a vacation voucher good for a three-day, two-night hotel stay, which is really awesome. So you're doing something great and you're getting something out of it. Doesn't get better than that. With Cars for Kids, you get professional service, convenient pickup, maximum tax deduction, a vacation voucher, and a good deed. Donate today at carsforkids.org Ben. That's cars with a K, K-A-R-S, the number four, kids.org Ben. They'll give you the donation experience you deserve. carsforkids.org Ben. Remember, That song will haunt you the rest of your days unless you check out carsforkids.org. K-A-R-S, carsforkids. Go check them out right now, carsforkids.org slash them. All righty, we're gonna get to the the speed with which this hideous hideous, idiocy is taking over the country. We'll get to that in just one second. First, as I've been mentioning all throughout the show, my new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It goes on sale Tuesday, July 21st, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. We will be doing a virtual live signing event on the day of release. With your purchase of a signed copy, you can write in a question which may be read and answered as I sign your book live on the air. You can pre-order your signed copy and write in your question at dailywire.com slash Ben. As I've been talking about, the book covers these fundamentally different visions of America. One vision is unifying, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, a culture of rights, a history of greatness. The other disintegrates all the things that tie us together. America's an evil, historically terrible place. The Constitution is a document of subjugation. The Declaration is mere papering for hierarchies of power. Disintegrationists, these are the people who are using weapons like the cancel culture, deleting or silencing anyone or anything that disagrees with them to build a whole new world order and tear down the system from within. How to destroy America in three easy steps. Details how this alternative worldview has gained so much cultural ground so quickly and not and doesn't just investigate this, it rebuts it, which is really the important part. It's the kind of book that you should buy for your good hearted liberal friends to remind them Exactly why we ought to belong in the same country. Go check out dailywire.com slash Ben to order your signed copy today. Join my live signing on Tuesday, July 21st. Also, if you're not already a Daily Wire member, you should consider getting a reader's pass to dailywire.com. Great value, only three bucks a month. When you sign up, you get that first month for only 99 cents. You also get access to our mobile app, articles ad-free, access to exclusive editorials like the new one that I've put out specifically today on all of this nonsense, this this national Museum of African-American History and Culture Idiocy. I put out an entire column on it today, but you can only see it if you have a reader's pass. If you haven't checked out the reader's pass already, head on over to dailywire.com and sign up for just a buck. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so the the ticket to entry into the anti-racist world is to, in malice fashion, denounce yourself and denounce your own goodly vision of the United States. If you believe the United States is a good place, founded on fundamentally and eternally true values. If you believe that, if you believe that America has not always lived up to that, that there are many flaws and dark times in American history, deeply dark, devastating times in American history where Americans failed to live up to the vision of the founding fathers. Indeed, many of the founding fathers failed to live up to their own vision, but that America was founded on true good principles and that the the, the striving to fulfill those principles has created the most powerful, most free country in the history of the world. If you believe that stuff, you're bad. And so you have to struggle with that now. And you have to demonstrate you're struggling. And that is the solution, guys. The struggle is the solution. You don't have to actually solve a problem. The struggle is the solution. Thus, you have Joe Scarborough over at MSNBC. He has a piece in the Washington Post today called, I still believe in the American dream, but I know why so many others don't. Now, listen, if you've actually lived in privation in the United States, if you've actually lived in abject poverty, if you've grown up in a family in which education was just not a priority and everyone around you was dependent on government large- I, I understand that too. I do. I've said this in speeches before. If you take somebody from a, a deeply, devastatingly poor area who has a broken family structure and you drive them around Beverly Hills and you say, if you work hard one day, this could be you, right? This house could be yours. You can see why people would look at that and say, well, hell, I, I don't believe you. It sounds, it sounds ridiculous. I understand that, but that's not what Joe Scarborough is saying. What he is saying is that the United States is essentially a caste system. Right? And that the system itself is fundamentally broken in certain ways. So Joe Scarborough says, he, he says, my oldest son, then 21, had never seen fear running across his father's face. Why should he have? Joey's dad, after all, was a six foot, four inch white man born in a suburban middle class home whose parents were raised in the throes of the Great Depression and started their family during the American century's zenith. They bequeathed to their children a faith in God, a good name, the unshakable belief that anything was possible through hard work. My election to Congress as a young outsider only served to reinforce the Scarborough family's faith in the dream. Then he talks about how his son nearly, nearly drowned. Um, and the, and, and he says, you know, that feeling of panic is, is now the feeling of panic that happens for basically all black people. He says, I know I am blessed to have had the luxury of living fearlessly through the first four decades of my life. Unlike my post colleague, Eugene Robinson, I never had to warn my teenage boys how to behave when stopped by a police officer. Unlike the writer Ta-Nehisi Coates, I did not know the fear that arises from being born of a people who control nothing, who can protect nothing. As Coates told his son, black people love their children with a kind of obsession. You are all we have and you come to us endangered. Okay, immediately buying into that lie that all black people in America are endangered its just a lie. There are 42 million black people in the United States. The average median, the median household income in the United States for black families is $58,000. Okay, black children in the United States are not born endangered. We're not living in 1890. We're not living in 1960. We're living in 2020. To just, to just repeat, I mean, ta Coates makes a damn good living. Ta-Nehisi Coates is, is, a, is a product of a system that has generated enormous wealth and prosperity for Tana Coates. And yet, according to Tana Coates, all black children everywhere are living in a sort of endangered, endangered species situation in which society is conspiring to crush them. It's a conspiracy theory without any conspiracy. The streets of West Baltimore, says Joe Scarborough, do not allow a child to walk through life carrying a sense of invincibility. Instead, parents harbor an unremitting dread when their child does something as mundane as walking to school. Okay, now Scarborough is just conflating Problems that are solvable in West Baltimore with the system as a whole. You know why kids fear walking to school in West Baltimore? It ain't because of the cops. The reason that kids fear walking to school in West Baltimore is because people are getting shot every day on their way to school in West Baltimore, not by the police. Fathers across the South Side of Chicago, says Joe Scarborough, cannot assure their children that a faith in God, a love of country, and a life filled with hard work will lead them to the dream. Why? Why? I mean, seriously, why? I want to know. I want to know why you can't assure your kids of that. And what message does it send that you will not assure your kids of that if you're not assuring your kids of that? The single worst thing you can do for a child is say, no matter how hard you work, you're screwed, right? That, that is the worst thing you can say to a kid. For millions of Americans, says Joe Scarborough, that dream appears to be little more than a white man's conjuring designed to conceal a country's sins and hold its citizens harmless for crimes committed against black humanity over the past 400 years. Hey, now, again, if, if, the, if the game here is that black Americans have been historically victimized in the United States, and therefore we cannot say to a young black child growing up in America today that you have opportunity, then that's, a, that's an insidious game. Those are not the same thing. Coming from a historically oppressed people myself, I can say I have lived the freest, God-blessed life I could possibly imagine in this country. And so did my grandparents. And so did my great-grandparents coming to this country. Now, the, 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 the very idea that everybody who's being born in 2020 is subjected to the same sorts of evil systems of oppression that existed 60 years ago is patently insane, but it has become a rote article of faith. And the reason Scarborough is writing all this is not to provide a solution, at no point does he provide a solution in this column. Instead, we now know that Joe Scarborough is a good person because he read ta Coates, guys. He read Between the World and Me, and that means that Joe Scarborough has now been alleviated of all responsibility. He's mouthed the words. He's mouthed them. He says, as Coates wrote, In Between the World and Me, maybe the most overrated book ever written, Americans should take their exceptionalism seriously and subject the country to an exceptional moral standard. The journey can only end when every citizen is raised free of fear and filled with the same dream that so many of us take for granted. But what if, what if there's an entire side of the culture, a disintegrationist culture that believes it is negative and wrong to teach your children that the dream is even possible? The dream itself, teaching your kids about the dream, it makes you an assimilationist. This is what Joe Scarborough doesn't understand or doesn't wish to understand. It doesn't matter how many times he says that the dream is not available to everyone and so we must make the dream more available. The dream is the target. Okay, the the people who are pushing this anti-racist redefinition, they believe that even the idea of the American dream is racist. And all the methodologies to achieve success within that dream are bad. Joe Scarborough will always be part of the enemy contingent to these folks, which Joe should acknowledge. Okay, no matter what Joe does, he can, he can read ta H. C. Coates before his kids to bed at night as a catechism. It will not matter one iota so long as he keeps saying that America is an exceptional place and a good place. All of this also allows enormous credibility for people like Ilhan Omar, who talks about ripping down the system and then says that anybody who criticizes her is a racist. Right. Which, again, relies on this redefinition, because if she says rip down the system, you say, well, that sounds kind of terrible. I right? didn't. Weren't you given opportunity, Ilhan Omar? Didn't you immigrate to the United States at age 12 from the hellscape that is Somalia? And then you were elected to Congress. Right? I mean, like, that's a pretty great, pretty damned great American success story. Shouldn't you be a little bit grateful for the system if you say that you're a racist, according to Ilhan Omar? So she says, she she quotes herself talking about how she wanted to tear down the system. She said, we are not merely fighting to tear down systems of oppression in the criminal justice system. We're fighting to tear down systems of oppression that exist in housing and education and healthcare and employment in the very air we breathe. As long as our economic and political systems prioritize profit, without considering who is profiting and who is being shut out, we will perpetuate this inequality. So we cannot stop at the criminal justice system. We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. Which sounds an awful like, a awful lot like the entire system needs to be torn down. So according to Ilhan Omar, if you quote her, you're bad now, right? This is her, this is her usual routine. And if you, if you note that she is an anti-Semite who believes that the Jews control world money, right? It's all about the Benjamins, Israel support and all of this. Then that's because you're a racist. So she says, the criticism, she says my uh, she says, the criticism was something I've become accustomed to as a black Muslim woman in public life. Okay, no, it's not about you being a black Muslim woman in public life. It's about the fact that you said something absolutely terrible and that the American system should not be torn down. I would say this about white people. I did, okay? I've done an entire podcast and Robin DiAngelo saying the same stuff. But the nice thing for Ilhan Omar is because of her identity, she can now claim that if you criticize her opinion, you're criticizing her race, which is absolute nonsense. She says this is something female leaders and leaders of color have dealt with for years. Hillary Clinton's every move was scrutinized. Barack Obama was hounded by claims he was a Muslim and not born in the United States. Keith Ellison was subject to an anti-Muslim smear campaign when he ran for Democratic Party chair. Fear of the other. Stems, I believe, from the myth of scarcity, pitting minority groups against one another in a fight for scraps. It, th- by the way, the only people who talk like this are people of the left, that America is, is not a growing pie. It's about fighting for the scraps and all part of this tearing down the system routine. Now, the nice thing also is that this means that you can basically be as racist as anti-Semitic as, as you want to be so long as you have the right opinions. So yesterday, Nick Cannon, who I guess is a Nickelodeon host, haven't paid much attention to him. Uh, he lost his job at Viacom C B S after he went on a podcast and suggested that white people were devils, which apparently, by the way, did not earn chiding from Viacom CBS. He suggested that the Jews were basically in control of everything. It was, it was just a bunch of Louis Farrakhan-based anti-Semitic conspiracy nonsense, and he got fired for it, right? And then he put out an apology, which is well taken. Like, I think that when people put out apologies, we should generally accept the apology, you know, absent evidence to to suggest that they are not truly apologizing for what they've done that is wrong. But- there are people, like major people who came out of the woodwork to support him. They came out of the woodwork to support Nick Cannon's openly anti-Semitic and openly anti-white statements. In fact, Charlemagne the God, right, went on his went on his podcast and he suggested that Nick Cannon's firing shows that the Jews have the power. Right? He'll get away with it, right? Every the bottom line is Nick Cannon will get his job back, right? Charlemagne the God doing this like it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Imagine if white people came out defending like the conspiracy the, the anti Semitic conspiracy theorizing of David Duke. Okay, they would be correctly, thrown out of Congress, right? I mean, if, if you even express sentiments approaching that, like Steve King did in Iowa, many of us max out to your opponent. And when I say many of us, I mean, I led the way on that one, right? Charlemagne the God is out there openly defending Nick Cannon. P. Diddy offered him a job. Through Charlemagne the God defending Nick Cannon by saying, you know, he said that the Jews have all the power. Him being fired shows the Jews have all the power. So um, when does Charlemagne the God actually have to answer for this bit of anti-Semitism? Listen, Nick is my guy. I hate it had to be him. But that's what you can do when you have the power. And if it's one thing Jewish people have showed us is they have the power. I can't wait until the day black people are able to fire people for saying things about us that we deem racist. We can barely get cops fired for actually killing us. They fired Nick for referencing a theory written by a psychologist okay, on racism. Also, though, if you're going to have that conversation, have it with a Jewish scholar. Have it with a rabbi. Have it with someone from that community. So anything you say that's not accurate, they can correct you. Okay, that, that's insane. Okay, so Charlemagne the God openly saying it's because the Jews have the power. Well, the beautiful thing about conspiracy theories is because they are unfalsifiable, you can say pretty much anything, right? The Jews are, the Jews are evil and have all the power. You get fired because that's a bad thing to say. And then the comeback is because the Jews have all the power. P. Diddy comes out and he says, Nick Cannon, come home to Revolt TV. Truly black owned. We got your back and love you and what you have done for the culture. We are for our people first. For us, by us, let's go. We are for our people first. For us, by us, let's go. Mm-hmm. But remember, that's not racist. True racism is just standing up for a free system in which everybody has opportunity. That's true racism. Okay, it's time for a quick thing that I like. We have reached that point. Brought to you by the Benham Brothers. Learn how to own a business without it owning you. Get a 15% discount right now on the Benham Brothers new course, Expert Ownership at benhambrothers.com slash talents. Again, that's benhambrothers.com slash Talent, go check out the Benham Brothers new course, Expert Ownership at benhambrothers.com slash talent. Okay, time for a quick thing that I like, which we haven't done in quite a while. So I mentioned briefly on the show yesterday, the movie Mr. Jones. I frankly could not believe that this movie was made. So the movie is about Gareth Jones. Gareth Jones was the journalist who first reported on the Holodomor, the, the murder, and the, the starvation of millions of Ukrainians, Ukrainian farmers during the five-year plan of, of Joseph Stalin that was intended to industrialize the Soviet Union by basically depriving everybody of grain in Ukraine and starving them to death. It resulted in literal cannibalism. I mean, people eating their family and friends because they had no food. It resulted in mass starvation. It resulted in millions of people dying. It was horrifying. Okay, so this movie is not just about Gareth Jones reporting on it and the evils of the Soviet Union. It's also about the evils of the New York Times because Walter Duranti was the Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, the fiction-writing Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. Yes, nothing has changed much who decided it was more worthwhile to back the narrative that the Soviet Union was a godsend than to report on the fact that the Soviet Union was slaughtering via starvation millions and millions of people in Ukraine. Here's a little bit of the trailer. Oh, there's nothing but wheat fields. Grain is Stalin's gold. What goes the agenda now? I don't have an agenda unless you call truth an agenda. Yes, but who's truth? Yeah, no, you do and the others come forward what's being done here will transform mankind we can still do something we cannot let Stalin get away with this what do you expect me to do exactly the soviet union is not the workers paradise that was promised it is not the great experiment that you read about in the press the movie's written the movie not the man okay, and, and I kept waiting for the sucker punch, but the movie goes right at it. I mean, there's a, there's a full scene in which Gareth Jones is talking with sort of an acolyte of Walter Durante. And she says, listen, the cause is really important, right? I mean, communism is the, the dream of the future. And you know, there has to be time to allow the progress to be achieved. And he says, people are being murdered. right? You're justifying murder. And it finally occurs to her that this is the case. Okay, Walter Duranty is, is really revealed in all of his true glory. I mean, like in every way uh, in this film. And it, it just it is demonstrative of what happens when journalists become so invested in their cause they're willing to falsify the facts and cover up evil. And this is, unfortunately, that has not changed. Not one iota. One of the modern movements that we are watching in journalism right now is the attempt to not prioritize truth, but to prioritize my truth. There's a scene in this film where Gareth Jones, the character, where, where he is talking about the importance of journalism. And he says, journalism is the quest for the truth. And The person he's talking to says, well, there are many facets of truth. He says, no, there's just like objective fact. And then there's a lot of opinion, which is something I've said myself. And he and and that's the perspective of the film, which is what makes it a great film. Right. Because the fact is that when journalists become so invested in the cause that they have decided to ignore all countervailing evidence, they're no longer journalists. They are now activists. This is what's happening over at The New York Times, where the where the woke now run the place where the quest for truth has become completely secondary to the idea that they are the repositories of all knowledge and all orthodoxy, and they're cramming it down from above. It has not changed one iota. This has not changed one iota. From Walter Durante to Nicole Hannah-Jones, when the narrative matters more than the facts, ugly things emerge. And Nicole Hannah-Jones just won a Pulitzer Prize, just like Walter Durante, for writing a bit of fiction. Walter Durante won a Pulitzer Prize for suggesting that Stalin's Russia was the greatest place on Earth and that Ukraine was Disneyland. Nicole Hannah-Jones just won a Pulitzer Prize for suggesting that America is a repository of all evil, was founded and steeped in evil, that the true founding of America was 1619, not 1776. She wrote it in her own fact-challenged manner. She is, by the way, a conspiracy theorist on a variety of topics. Doesn't matter. The narrative above all. Wesley Lowry, the former Washington Post reporter, has basically decided that it's time to ditch all notions of objective journalism, that what we need more is more of the Nicole Hannah-Jones style of journalism. We need more opinion journalism, but they won't label it opinion journalism. They will just label it morally right journalism. See, the difference between what we do here at Daily Wire and what they do over at the New York Times now or what they are doing in the Wesley-Lowry world is that I will openly tell you my assumptions. I will openly tell you my political point of view. And I will tell you that if you want to form your own viewpoint, you should listen to my show and then you should go listen to Pod Tape America. You should read Daily Wire and then you should go read Huffington Post. You should read a variety of viewpoints and then come away with your own perspective on the issue. You shouldn't just swallow everything hook, line, and sinker because I'm overt about my own biases. What the sort of moral, the moral betters in journalism say, is there is no countervailing point of view that is worth discussing. They will openly say this. They will say, we can't have false balance in which our views are pitted against other views because our views are so eminently right. Our views are so eminently true. The narrative is just that important. And so we can't allow a countervailing narrative to get out there. And so they will, they will ignore information. They will falsify information. It's, this is the world of journalism that exists in the here and now. That doesn't mean there aren't good journalists at these institutions. There are. There are good journalists at The Washington Post. There are good journalists over at The New York Times. It means the institutions have decided as institutions to go back to the bad old days of Walter Durante and to reward the people who openly acknowledge what they are doing. At least Walter Durante was was lying to his superiors. I mean, Walter Durante was just telling his superiors stuff that wasn't true. I I don't think anybody at The New York Times is lying to their superiors. I think they're just badgering their superiors. The editors of The New York Times are not in control of The New York Times. Pinch Solzberger is not in control of the New York Times. Nicole Hannah-Jones is in charge of the New York Times. So if you worry about the future of journalism, if you worry about the the idea that the narrative ought to trump the fact, and if you worry that the woke are so invested in the narrative they can't give you the truth, you should check out the movie Mr. Jones. It is excellent, excellent film. By the way, I will note that it is is amusing to me that it only took hmm, like 70 years after Stalin died for people in Hollywood to start recognizing Stalin was a bad man. (laughs) There have been a couple of movies made in the last three years recognizing that Stalinism was actually quite evil. It it only took them like 70 years on that one. So I'm glad that they finally came around in Hollywood to the perspective that Stalin was indeed uh, one of history's great monsters. All righty, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. In the meantime, go pre-order a copy of my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, or we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, Executive Producer Jeremy Boring, Supervising Producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, Assistant Director Pavel Wydowski, Technical Producer Austin Stevens, Playback and Media Operated by Nick Sheehan, Associate Producer Katie Swinnerton, Edited by Adam Sajovic, Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free...